This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from Pretoria Law in Tyson, Virginia. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-hosts, Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, and David Kunzman, Pretoria Law. Mark, can you give us a rundown on who we have on the air today, please? Sure. On today's show, we have Casey Baines, founder and executive director of Casey Cares Foundation, Gary Schiffman, CEO of Giant Oak, Jeff Galvin, CEO and founder of American Gene Technologies, and Jeffrey Lewis, founder of Lewis Limited Productions. Let's get to our first guest, Casey Baines, founder and executive director of Casey Cares Foundation. Casey, what is Casey Cares Foundation? What are you guys doing? At Casey Cares, we provide little moments and lasting memories for all critically ill children, their family members, not once in a lifetime or once a year, but continuously through their treatment process and even after the loss of a child or the family is in remission. How many kids do you help uh, a year or have you been helped total or something like that? We are able to help over 35,000 participants at Casey Cares with a minimal budget of $2 million a year mainly because we are a volunteer-driven organization that runs like a for-profit company would. And where are you from originally? I'm originally from Forest Hill, Maryland. Uh-huh. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have two brothers. My one brother, Chad, is five years older than me. My other brother did not survive. He would have been two years older than me. Ooh. Uh, how do you know that? And how do you know that there was a brother that didn't survive? And, and what do you think the effect of your brother that didn't survive is on you? I come from a very close-knit family. So every year on my brother Todd's birthday, we would celebrate the joy, although it was short, that he brought to my family. Wow. Um, so you're aware that you had an older brother. And, and how does this affect your mom, your dad, yourself as a kid? You know, what's uh, and you you mentioned uh, there was a quote in the green room you mentioned, which was you're obsessed with alleviating suffering. Where'd that come from? Hindsight has so much to offer us. And when I was growing up in a loving family who was very busy, my family were both my mom and my dad were entrepreneurs. And it was at a very young age that I became obsessed with alleviating suffering. Yeah, what was that picture looking like? What, What do you remember about that? I remember growing up and feeling as if I wanted to help my parents. I wanted to help take some of the suffering and the struggle that I saw in their eyes every single day. And I believed as a young child, May, that perhaps if I brought them enough happiness or success to fill the void that they're experiencing because of the loss of a child, maybe that would bring them to a point where they would feel fulfilled. What's that have to do with this organization known as Casey Cares Foundation helping 35,000 kids a year? It's not a direct line by any means, although I know it may seem like it. It certainly sounds like it is, yeah. What do you think's the connection there? I know at Casey Cares, that's what we do. We step into these families' lives who aren't able to see the future. They feel is that they're in the constant dark and we're there to help turn on the light so they can experience a little bit of joy, even though they need to fill a lifetime of memories into a few short years. David? I understand your parents owned a medical equipment company. Uh, how young were you when you started working there? I have memories forever of going and helping my mom go in and visit patients, servicing their H cylinders and their concentrators, changing the tubing. And I even remember going in when HIV was just revealed and very, very scary, going in double, triple globbed with um, masks on and having to go after we visited that patient, having to go out in the driveway, take off all of our clothing, wash with bleach, And most devastatingly, look at the tears in my mom's eyes because she didn't know what she had just exposed me to. 
and you you're you're mentioning the agreement when your mom dove right in she had the loss of a child but she dove in was very task oriented uh helping others you know through her work and um can you tell us a little bit about about what you learned from that my mom is a nurse by trade and then she dove in by having a you know durable medical and equipment supply company so she had this personal touch that these patients could feel not just when she was there but anytime they needed her i'm so lucky to get that angle on business whereas my father was more the numbers guy and results oriented so in order to spend time with my dad it was spending it in his home office uh, from eight o'clock until midnight to try to get that time in and how young were you when you started making money gosh the first time i started making money i was probably eight and of course that was odd jobs around the neighborhood which i had constructed a flyer to put in everybody's mailbox cutting lawns babysitting um and of course when you're babysitting i knew that i wanted to get that next job and how was i going to get that i was going to have the dishes done i was going to have the trash taken out and make sure all the kids clothes were dirty and in the hamper where needed so your business philosophy is to go above and beyond Absolutely. I've yeah. always been taught that you need to go the extra mile to make it really worth it. So when you when you were younger, you had this feeling of you wanting to help others. What was the first time you really acted on that and had a project or something to, to help others? I remember coming up from my father's home office and saying goodnight to my mom where she would watch the evening news, the 11 o'clock news, and I saw this devastating victim on TV. She was six years old, and there was major flooding she was questioning how she was going to fall asleep that evening because she didn't have her beloved teddy bear. And with that, I went back to bed, actually just to my room, and started developing flyers and a massive plan to help these families in need, not just that little girl, but all the families in the Midwest. And we were able to send two full truckloads of supplies that were needed to help these families rebuild their lives. So you mentioned that uh, at, at age 19, you started thinking sort of broadly and financially about business. Uh, you made an investment at uh, age 19. What was that? So at 19, I decided that it was time to move out. And I looked at my options as far as renting versus buying and having two roommates. So I decided to buy, have two roommates, and all of a sudden from having an expense line, I now had a profit line. It was a great way to get started. Well, what's that have to do with um, how you run this nonprofit? The fact you were 19 and you decided you were going to make an investment in real estate and how you were going to make it an investment as opposed to an expense. What's that have to do with how you're running this nonprofit? Casey Care started in 2000 because there was nobody else doing it. And I feel that that's been the key to my success in life is that I would recognize that nobody else was doing things, whether that was when I was little and we were building forts in the woods with all the neighborhood kids, or whether that was starting Casey Cares or starting to buy a house at a young age at 19 when the rest of my friends didn't have a care in the world about owning a home. So you, you mentioned um, that you felt uh, driven. Well, wh- what did you mean by that? What are you talking about? I was diagnosed when I was three, in third grade, being dyslexic. There wasn't a lot of talk around that. But what I knew was that, what my mom told me is that I was never allowed to use the word can't. I went into my third grade class and in all the dictionaries took a big black marker and blacked out the word can't. Sadly, my parents ended up having to purchase like 25 (laughs) dictionaries for the school, but I took that lesson to heart. And we don't, I still to this day do not use the word can't. Uh-huh. How's that affecting you nowadays? Well, there's never a dull moment. When you eliminate the word can't from your vocabulary, there's so much opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mark? So you said uh, when you weren't uh, building forts in the woods, uh, do you have other activities? Do you play sports? Yes, I love and still love sports. Um, my major sports were softball and basketball mm-hmm. and loved every minute of it. I'm perhaps so sports-driven growing up with an older brother, and also all of my friends were guys growing up. What position did you play on those teams? I was the center in basketball and shortstop in softball. And what's the characteristic of those positions? What traits do you bring from playing those positions, or why were you selected for those positions? I believe it's probably no-nonsense, always on your toes, and always ready. Mm -hmm. What's the best part of your day nowadays? 
the best part of my day is getting my kids up in the morning. As crazy as that may sound, I cherish the opportunity to wake up with them, make them breakfast, sometimes even crepes on good days, and spending that time with them. And we talk about our days, what they have ahead, what I have ahead, what my husband has ahead. It is an amazing way to start our day. Uh What's an amazing way to start your day? By making them crepes? Or what, what, what am I missing there? Tell me more about that. My crepes are pretty amazing, considering that's the only thing I can make. Uh -huh. But it's amazing to connect with them and to realize that we all have a mission for our day. We all have a passion. We all get just today. And my kids know, and my husband and I live, to know that we're never going to get today again. So today is a gift and we are going to use every bit of that day to the best of our ability. What's the website address for Casey Cares Foundation? CaseyCares.org. Let me have that one more time. CaseyCares.org. We've been speaking with Casey Baines, founder and executive director of Casey Cares Foundation, back in a moment right after this business spotlight. And your name and organization is? Jen Dalton, Brand Mirror. And what is Brand Mirror? What are you guys doing? We help executives and entrepreneurs find their voice. Huh. Where are you from originally? Augusta, Georgia. How many brothers and sisters? Zero. I'm an only child. What makes an only child special? You have to figure out what to do on your own. Hmm. So did you have a lot of friends when you were a kid? A couple here and there. Mm hmm And um, so it sounds to me like you're like the entrepreneur's friend trying to help them grab their voice. Am I correct about that? I am their accountability partner, their Sherpa to find their voice. Uh-huh, so basically maybe some stuff that you were looking for in your own childhood is what you're doing for these CEOs. Is that possible? I think that's fair. What do you mean? Speaking up, uh, speaking out, helping people be confident in who they are, and having a person help you get there faster is a good thing. So you think it's important to get help in terms of our voicing so that we can really refine who we are and how we're communicating it's not just blurted out, it's really communicated and, fil and, and work it through. Am I correct about that? My favorite word is intentional, and we're always taught not to speak up and to focus on others, but there's a ton of value to find your voice and speaking up and sharing what you know. So in order to get too intentional, it's important that I work with somebody so that I know that I'm really clear on point. Am I correct about that? Absolutely, and entrepreneurs and executives are so busy all the time Having someone help them plan ahead is a great thing. What's your website address? Brandmirror.com. Let me have that one more time. Brandmirror.com. Brandmirror.com. And the name of the business is Brandmirror. And your name again is? Jen Dalton. All right. This is Herb Cohen. And this has been your business spotlight with Jen Dalton, Brandmirror. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And wh what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager, and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, w what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure I have a, make sure eight executive community members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs. So, how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis, or daily basis, or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis, on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Wh what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients because they're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business, and at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings, and such. So you're you're well, you're running a twenty-four by seven facility, aren't you? We are. Uh huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your business spotlight.
We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Dr. Gary Schiffman, CEO of Giant Oak. Gary, Dr. Schiffman, what is Giant Oak? What are you guys doing? Giant Oak's a software company where we make screening and vetting easy. Our our customers use it for screening and vetting large populations looking for types of uh, risks and threats. Hmm. Tell me, uh, how large or how small is this business? 30 people. And uh, where are you from originally? Originally from Chicago. Uh-huh. How many brothers and sisters? I've got one brother. He's two and a half years older than me. Uh-huh. And tell us, 8 to 14 years old, what, what kind of stuff were you doing? I was involved in everything when I was uh, that age. I was on uh, multiple sports teams, hockey, basketball, uh, track and field. I did the, the decathlon. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, in band. Uh, I was in multiple well, well, What was your favorite sport? Ice hockey was my favorite sport. And what was your role on the team? I was the goalie. And what was the personality trait of the goalie that you brought to being a goalie? And why did you want to be the goalie? What I brought to being the goalie was the kind of that solid person on which the entire team depends when somebody's skating down the ice and uh, the game's on the line. It's, it's, it's all on you and on your shoulders, and what's I that, love that. What's that have to do with being the CEO of Giant Oak? Oh, it has everything to do with being a CEO. Um, I, I feel every day I go to work, I know that um, everybody is going to make their mortgage payments or their rent payments if, if I make the right decisions, and they won't if I make the wrong decisions. And you made a, you made a comment that you were also involved with jazz band. What was a jazz band all about for you? Um, I was just involved in, in everything, and I just enjoyed participating in all of the activities. And one of the things that I, I really got out of it was the idea of not fitting stereotypes or breaking stereotypes. Where, where I went to school, the, the kids in band didn't do sports and the kids in sports didn't do band. And, and I did both. I did everything. And I loved, I loved that role. Mm-hmm. Mark? So uh, when did you start making money? My first job uh, was when I was 16 years old. Doing what? I was scooping ice cream in a um, uh, an ice cream and candy store in uh, in my town, and uh, um, it was uh, uh, a candy store owned by a, an old couple, grandma and grandpa, and uh, and I was their one employee. Um, what kind of responsibilities did they task you with? Well, first and foremost, I had to become familiar with every ice cream they sold in the store, which was a great way to start my professional working career. Um, but soon after that, uh, they gave me a lot of responsibility in terms of, uh, of opening the store, running the store while they were out doing other errands, closing up. Um, and I really learned a lot of that responsibility that similar to the, the comment about being a goalie in hockey, just knowing that people are counting on you and just making sure you're, you're there and you're solid and, and, and you're, you're doing what you need to do. Did you read a lot as a kid? I did read a lot. I read strange books as a kid, though. What kind of stuff uh, was attractive to you? Yeah, for some reason, I was interested in um, in how the human mind worked, how human behavior worked, the impact of of culture and religion and society on human behavior. Was that something? Was there a particular event, or is just sort of it grew on you? Yeah, there. W- I don't. I don't recall any particular event, but I think I, I had this reflective moment where I realized that my behavior wasn't wasn't common. I was I was like I said, uh, uh, breaking barriers in in terms of the activities uh, that I was participating in, and um, and that caused me to be reflective and say, well, what what is it that causes us to be who we are, behave the way we behave? And I've been consumed with that. Um, uh, that topic my whole life mm-hmm. consumed with what topic how how we become who we become how we choose to uh, what what path we choose to take in life and what's that have to do with uh, your business your business model yeah I'm uh, we're building software which is based upon co- this the concepts and the science of human behavior well, who are your customers customers are government agencies and banks and what do you do for them we do screening and vetting. So if you're a government agency or a bank, you need to make sure that you're not interacting with uh, human traffickers, money launderers, and we help uh, make sure they do that. And how's this reflective of your personality? 
couple of things. First of all, human human behavior. There's a there's a science to human behavior. Humans are humans are more predictable than we like to think that we are. And I think that's something that I learned when I was a, a teenager, whether I knew it at the time or not. So understanding that um, uh, we we have free will, uh, but we're still highly predictable, and that applies to people engaged in bad activities as well as as, as all of us. And if you can understand people and their engagement in illicit activities, you can understand and, and hopefully make the world a little bit safer. Mm-hmm. David? You mentioned uh, playing goalie a few times. Uh, I, I once heard an NHL goalie being interviewed who said he viewed his, uh, his job as giving his teammates the chance to excel, to go and score goals. You know, his job was to stop the puck. They get the glory. Um, is that what you do in, with Giant Oak? Yeah, I, I love that story. Um, yeah, the goalie doesn't always get the glory. The guy who gets the hat trick or the gal who gets the hat trick gets the glory. Um, I love playing that role, which is just being solid, being the foundation upon which the the team can perform. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, who are your friends growing up? Um, just like my activities, my friends reflected my activities. My friends were all over the place. I had I had friends who were athletes, uh, friends who were in chess club, friends who were in band, friends who uh, who were apathetic and engaged in no activities. I was I was all over the place uh, with the people I hung out with, and I again I I realized that that was unique, and I loved that aspect of my childhood. And what did you get out of sort of cycling between these groups? You can't understand human behavior unless you can see the full diversity of human behavior, and it allowed me to do that. And how's that helped you build this business? The the business is really motivated by this insight into patterns of human behavior and making sense of it, especially today in the, the so-called big data world. We have data, we, we are overwhelmed with information. Mm-hmm. That data reflects human behavior. You just have to be a behavioral scientist to think about data in that mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. and we uniquely do that. Mark? Is there a particular movie or literary character that sort of resonates with you? Uh, my, favorite literary, my favorite character is Michael Corleone from The Godfather, absolutely. Is that because who you aspire to become? <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely do not. Um, what I I love Michael Corleone because because he's he's to me the ideal villain. Mm-hmm. He is uh, clearly evil. He's very likable. Um, he fits in 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 lots of different environments. He um, he claims to be not a part of the family, and he's going to be different, and um, and yet he. He, he fails to do that and mm-hmm. he falls into the trap uh, and, and I think I think he's mm-hmm. he is my ideal villain if nothing you're consistent in your worldview and building mm-hmm. this company of giant so Oak. the um, h- how do you get involved with giving back dr. Gary Schiffman so um, uh, my favorite charity right now that I'm supporting is the National Center for missing and exploited children Why? Uh, mm-hmm. um, because the the center is one example of many where there's this acknowledgement that there is there there is coercion there is violence there is evil in the world and um, I think professionally uh, Giant Oak seeks to identify the perpetrators but I think there's a lot of work to be done in terms of taking care of the victims and looking out for the the most vulnerable in society and the National Center does that and, and I love supporting them. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about how your childhood helped cast the framework for, help shape you for what you're doing nowadays. Yeah, so I, I think um, this, this, uh, this passion for, you know, I, I said the understanding human behavior. Another way to say it is the human condition. Um, and the human condition is, is, can be defined a lot of different ways, but it's this idea that, you know, life can be very hard. Life can be challenging. And... Um, and we're all in it together. So how do we support each other? How do we get through this? How do we look out for the vulnerable? How do we make it harder for people to engage in bad activities? And that's exactly who I am today. Well, what's the website address of this organization known as Giant Oak? It's giantoak.com. 
Let me have that one more time. Giantoak.com. It's been with Dr. Gary Schiffman, CEO of Giant Oak, here on Executive News Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executivenewsradio.com, to learn more about our executive news. We will be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some, something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver, you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down and therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of it one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries, and mm -hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What did you, what did you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a, a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, mm -hmm. parents, mm -hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your Business Spotlight. Thank you. This is John Schuhart. Join us, joining us for our Business Spotlight is Barry File. Who are you with, Barry? I'm with Celebrate Fairfax, a yeah. 501c3 nonprofit in Fairfax, Virginia. And what do you do with uh, Celebrate Fairfax? I am very fortunate to be the president and CEO of the organization. So what does Fairfax, or excuse me, Celebrate Fairfax do? We have a mission to celebrate Fairfax County and its communities. We serve the 1.1 million people who live in the county and all, as well as all the people who uh, visit and work there. So uh, what do you enjoy about working at Celebrate Fairfax? It is the best job in the world. It is. We come to work every day, my team and I. And we get to prepare and plan and produce events for 75,000, 100,000 people. And we treat them like, we think of them like, like they're our, our friends. So, so we get to come in and, and just plan great events for them. What makes those events so special? We try to be unique uh, within this region especially, but we're always trying to stretch the envelope of what people expect from events. People go to events because they want to have great experiences. And for us, we are always trying to give them that return on investment because they're not giving us necessarily a lot of money when they come to our event, but they are giving us their time and their energy, and that's an important thing. People want that ROI back. So did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were a kid? No, never. I, I think that when I was a kid, I, I, was, I was building things, designing things, and somewhere along the line I fell into events and realized that it was a natural extension for me, that I just loved producing things. So what was it about being a kid that led you to this? Um, I think that it was just the challenges that were there. I always tried to figure out solutions to problems that didn't exist, and uh, that's what we do now. It's, it's the same principle. So when do you first start overcoming big challenges as a kid? Uh, I think I always was. Uh, I think that uh, I lived in a household with two older kids, parents who had their own things going on, and I think for me, I just always uh, tried to find my own way. What's your website? Our website is celebratefairfax.com. This is John Schuart, and this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohn. We'd like to introduce Jeff Galvin, CEO and founder of American Gene Technologies International. Jeff, what is American Gene Technologies International? What are you guys doing? We're a gene and cell therapy company. We use uh, viral vectors to cure incurable diseases. Uh-huh. How large or how small is this company? We have 30 people and 24,000 square feet in Rockville, Maryland. 30 people. And where did the venture capital come from to start this business? Actually, uh, for the first five years, I pretty much funded it myself. We got some grants from NIH, but I put in $2.5 million in the first five years. You put in $2.5 million of your own money into this business. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Where are you from originally? 
Lexington, Massachusetts. How many brothers and sisters? I'm the oldest of three. Uh huh. And what was going on with you, eight to fourteen years old? Um, I think maybe typical entrepreneurial stuff uh, in the early days. So you know, cutting lawns and and things like that. Uh-huh. And then tell us the good stuff about what was going on <laughs> in seventh grade. Well, um, I discovered and fell in love with computers, and uh, I learned to program at uh, maybe about age 12 or 13, and and then I ended up wandering around MIT looking for resources and got recruited to teach a weekend class uh, in programming basic. So you're 14 years old, and you're teaching at MIT. Okay, that's normal. And um, tell me a little bit about, uh, what, what did you really enjoy about that? Well, what I loved about computers is I just saw them as being something that could really enhance everybody's lives and mm-hmm. I love sharing my excitement about computers with others. What, what does sharing your excitement have to do with the accept, with the success of this organization known as American Gene Technologies International? Well, I think that passion for things is a huge driver in life and I have a similar passion for gene and cell therapy as I had for computers. I see gene and cell therapy as unlocking incredible benefits for humanity, for my f- fellow mankind. And Give me that, that, that. Somebody once mentioned an idea to you and you said you like you went, wow, what was that? What was the, what's the vision here? Well, the aha moment was when I met a guy named Roscoe Brady at NIH and he told me about viral vectors for the first time. And uh, basically, you can crack open viruses. You can scoop out viral DNA that hijacks your cells. It's basically software for, your, for the human cell. You can scoop out that bad DNA, and you can put in whatever you want. So we can convert viruses into updates to improve the operation of human cells. Wow. Mark? So what did your parents do? Well, my uh, dad graduated from MIT and went to work for Lincoln Labs pioneering radar, and then he went on into business, a small business, and had 140 different patents for signal processing. He was a uh, a pioneer in uh, burglar alarms. Mm-hmm. About your mother? My mother graduated very, very young, actually, from Harvard, oh. I think uh, age 18 or 19. And actually, I was one years old uh, when she graduated, and then she went on to work in a computer consulting service. Okay. Do you have a close family? Uh, I think my mom and dad were very busy, so mm-hmm. they didn't have that much time for us, so we kind of brought ourselves up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And what uh, is, what is having a dad with 140 patents and a mom that uh, went to Harvard while she was pregnant, what that have to do with uh, you? How's that affecting you? I think probably my whole family thinks that that level of achievement is just normal or average. Uh huh. So what's that? So is it affecting your own level of uh, expectations and feeling good enough? Well, I think that um, we never got any feedback that we'd arrived as kids. We never got uh, the positive feedback. And, you know, good job on an A. You know, you bring home all A's. They should have been all A pluses, basically. So yeah, we have very high expectations for ourselves. Uh huh. How uh-huh. does that change your your worldview as far as um, achievement, limitations, mm-hmm. creativity? Well, I think it was a good thing. that it, it made me feel that there are no limitations, and creativity has been a very important word in my life. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, we say at American Gene Technologies where creativity cures. The idea is to bring in a bunch of really smart people that are naturally hard workers but that are passionate about the mission. And, and then, you know, when you have people like that in there and you create a, a, a creative environment, uh, you can possibly achieve greatness, and that's the plan. What's the plan? Well, the plan is to take all those talents, you know, that came together because there was this, I had this vision for what the future could be, and, and then I ran around and, and evangelized that vision, and it attracted a lot of people that believed in that vision that sort of drank the Kool-Aid with me, and that attracted great scientists and, and also money from high net worth and individuals who could see that vision as well to drive the company, and as a result, we're on the eve of uh, testing a cure for HIV in the clinic this year. Wait a minute. You told us that a number of years ago you could have retired when you were 41 from Silicon Valley, but yet you took a big chunk of your net worth and sunk it into this business. Why did you just go to Florida and retire? Well, um, I actually had done that for a while. So in Silicon Valley, I still had my house in San Carlos, California, and then I bought a house in Maui, and I was flying back and forth and doing nothing, and I got bored. And I wanted a little stimulation for my brain, but then... 
as uh, fate would have it, I met Roscoe Brady, and I fell in love with the next big thing in my life. So it was like computers all so over again. So you don't need to work. You want to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I did not need to work at that point. I was basically retired. But you want to. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, passion it, it just drives you. You know, you, you see something that you're really interested in and really excited about, and, you know, that's something that just provides a tremendous amount of joy. David? Did you have any mentors when you were growing up? Um, no, not really. I was a very independent kid. Um, I think, you know, being the oldest of three children and having to cook for them and clean for them while my parents were working really hard and, and living in a really great neighborhood, you know, a village was bringing up the kids. But th that level of independence, I don't, I don't think I really had mentors. Mark? So you've, you've made the, the creative leap from electrical systems to biological systems. Can you see uh, the possibility of, uh, of, of a third act? I have no idea what that would be, but if I fall in love with something, then yes. But I think this is the software industry for the next 100 years. Mm -hmm. I think I still have probably at least 10 good years in me, and I cannot possibly run out of things to do in that amount of time. So I may get carried out feet first from where I am someday if, if I think that I'm sharp enough to keep leading this company. Well, what, what do you mean it's the software industry? The, give me that quote again. What was that about? Well, you know, your, the computer on your desk is programmed in zeros and ones. The, the, your cells are, are programmed in ACTG, the nucleotides of, of your DNA. And if you change the software in your cell, you change the behavior. And same thing as computers. So what we are able to do right now is edit your DNA. And by editing your DNA, we completely change the behavior of cells. We can improve them, whatever we want to do. But isn't this all hopeful stuff? I mean, is this really proven? Oh, no, this is here today. There's a cure for blindness that came from another company called Spark. They just got bought by uh, Roche for $4.5 billion. There's a cure for spinal muscular atrophy, a deadly disease that... So you're seeing, you're seeing what's proven science. You're seeing vision around it. You're seeing the applications of this technology, aren't you? I think maybe one of the differences in my approach is that I look at this as a software industry. Everybody looks at this as a new drug development modality in an old industry of biotech and pharmaceuticals. So we're trying to leverage what's really strong about gene and cell therapy, and that is that it is really like software. You can debug it. You can uh, find a whole bunch of common elements that you can mix and match to cure a myriad of diseases. You can you know, find efficiencies that wouldn't be typical of mm -hmm. drug development uh, in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, what... Uh traits do you value most highly in the people you work with? Brains, number one, uh, work ethic, and then excitement over something. You know, you've got to be interested in what you are heading for. I mean, that's very characteristic of me. I just call it passion. Mm -hmm. After that, creativity. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, creativity is just a huge theme at the company. Um, you're starting a revolution with your technology uh, and your approach to it. And uh, you're from Lexington, Massachusetts, where our <laughs> revolution started. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you said revolution instead of me. Uh, but yeah, I think that's true. And um, you know, I don't know whether uh, being from Lexington and uh, you know the birthplace of uh, you know the nation and uh, the shot heard around the world and you know that probably just plays in with the general theme is anything is possible and you just look at what's right and you drive towards that. You know, it's interesting that um, you know you could have retired but you decided not to and I thought the American dream was you know you hit 62 and you retire but that's just not the way you're built. It's fascinating to me. What's the website address? AmericanGene.com let me have that one more time. How do you spell that anyway? American with the N and Gene spelled G-E-N-E dot com. AmericanGene.com. We've been speaking with Jeff Galvin, CEO and founder of American Gene Technologies International. Don't forget to visit our website, executivelewsradio.com. Back in a moment, right after this business spotlight. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, 
the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, they, they, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your idea, your, your thought is in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine-to-five kind of job oh, for you? Oh, hell no. It's a lot longer uh -huh. than that, baby. So do you have to, you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. Balsambid.com, and, and you can download Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have, uh, let me have that website address one more Balsambid.com. Com. It's B A. Give me the spelling on that. B A L L S T O N B I D dot com. Excellent. Your name again is Tina Leone. And the name of the organization is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight. Back in a moment. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs. Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues. Because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Jeffrey Lewis, founder of Lewis Limited Productions. Jeffrey, what is Lewis Limited Productions? What are you guys doing? Well, we're, we're a production company, but we're an online training and education. And our basic claim to fame is that we were training our troops. Uh, we were training our troops on cultural awareness. Mm -hmm. So before they touched down in that certain country, they needed to know the culture of that country. And we were doing mm -hmm. that interactively online training. Mm-hmm. And uh, how large or how small is this company? Uh, right now, we're just 10 employees. Mm-hmm. And where are you from originally? Washington, D.C. How many brothers and sisters do you got? And where are you in the packing order? I have three brothers, mm -hmm. and I am number two. You're number two of four brothers. Yeah. All right. So what was the effect of you growing up with three other brothers, and what were you doing to make money when you were a kid? Uh, the, the, growing up with, with, with three other brothers was great. Uh, two of my three brothers and I uh, started a dance group. We were the Jackson Five in the 70s uh, called the Lewis Brothers, and we were dancing, dancing all over Washington, D.C. And, and all over the counties, and we were winning talent contests. And, we, and then one time, uh, several theaters came up to us and said, we love what you're doing. We want you to be a part of it. And so they paid us for our dance group at age 13. 
Uh, all right, so you're with your two other brothers in this dance group. And what was your role amongst the three of you? What was your role in this team? Well, as the older of the three brothers, mm -hmm. uh, or two brothers, uh, I, I sort of took the lead, and I was sort of the manager, the, uh, sort of choreographed most of the moves, and, uh, and then put it all together, and then got my brothers to come along, and then uh, uh, we, we took it from there. Well, what's that have to do with your role today in uh, this organization known as Lewis Limited Productions? Well, I mean, it, it, when you're a founder and you're managing of a company, you have to take some of those same principles even as you're growing up and apply that to your business today. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, I always uh, uh, welcome collaboration, mm -hmm. uh, and I want people to work with me and not mm -hmm. just for me. Mark. So what would your dad do? My father was the first African-American president and CEO of Bell Atlantic slash Verizon, mm -hmm. then became the first African-American president of NPR, National Public Radio. And then after he retired from there, President Clinton asked him to be uh, the U.S. ambassador to South Africa. How about your mom? My mom, uh, she was a, a uh, homemaker, home but she also did a lot of volunteering. She volunteered at uh, Lorton Prison uh, in helping some of the inmates. She vol uh, volunteered at the Green Door uh, mm -hmm. uh, and did a lot of things around uh, Washington, D.C. How did that, uh, they were the, the anchor of the family, obviously. Tell me about uh, family dinners, uh, yeah, experiences in the home. Absolutely. The, 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 you're right about the anchor. Um, the, 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 what we, my parents decided to do is we always had family dinners. Dad would come home. We'd all sit around the table. My parents would never sit at the head of the table. They would always sit in the middle. They'd let us sit at the head. And then we also, they gave us chance to talk about our day and, and, and talk about what we want to talk about during the table. Mm -hmm. The other thing is my father, when he'd come home in those, those positions, he would never, you know, stop talking about what he went through in his challenges. So I learned a lot, all of his business challenges at that time, uh, and I applied some of those same principles in what he did in my business today. So it was at-home business school. Exactly right. Okay. <laughs> so uh, tell me more about, about growing up. You, know, you said you're writing your autobiography. You're well ahead of the game. What's the, what's the chapter uh, title for ages 8 to 14? Uh, well, that's really when I started to really come out of my shell. Uh, I was a very shy kid growing up. Uh, I actually was diagnosed as well with a learning disability, and I learned differently from everybody else. Uh, so, you know, I, I had a tough time reading in front of people. I didn't like to read, uh, and I did a lot of things because one thing that I was very passionate about was I did not want to have, as an African-American young boy, to have the same stereotype of someone saying that that person's dumb. Mm -hmm. And so I always did things to try to better myself uh, way ahead of time. So I would ask the teacher, you know, what we were going to read today. And so I'd go home and I'd read it over and over and over again. So if I was called on, I would be able to read mm -hmm. and not feel stupid. Sounds or, like you were kind of in charge of, uh, of your life, even at, at, a, at a young age. Tell me about uh, your role in, in a group of friends you had. Um, I, I still uh, keep in touch with a lot of my friends I had when I started in grade school. I have one friend, we went to first grade together, all the way through 12th grade together, and, uh, and we, still, we still keep in touch. Um, and so when I, keep, when I have friends, I have close-knit friends, I make sure that I stay in touch with them and mm -hmm. we stay together. Uh, I think friendship is extremely important to me. And what was your role in that group of friends that you grew up with? I was sort of considered maybe more of the leader than mm -hmm. the follower. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I did, as I said before, listen to everybody, and we, we all did things together mm -hmm. uh, as, as, as a team, but not necessarily just one dictating the other. Tell us about Clinton. I had a mentor, uh, and his, his name was, was, was Clint West, and uh, he was a, a, a prominent businessman in Washington, D.C., started and founded his own company. And he, uh, he was very instrumental in my life because uh, he sort of took me in his wing. I remember just one, this one story where his administrative assistant would say, oh, Jeff is coming to see him. Well, that's another two hours out of his day we're not going to see because he would just take that time to spend with me. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, he passed away too early. And, and, and so I, it left a big hole in my life because he was somebody I turned to a lot to get a lot of business advice. You also got, got some wisdom from your mother in particular. Tell us about that. I did. Uh, my mother, uh, it was unbelievable. She, she, she graduated, she went to college at age 14. And uh, she, she met my father in college. Uh, my, my, mother was a, uh, my mother was a junior at college. My father was a freshman. And my father's a year older than my mother. 
Um, and so, uh, they, but uh, she has an unbelievable mind. Uh, she brought all, all of her kids up to be colorblind. Um, we, uh, we, you know, so she said, listen, you just find the people you like, you want to be with, you want to love, and then that's who you be with. And, and her values were unbelievable when it came to that. Okay. Mark? Oh. So you've had a you're sort of an interesting character here. You know, you've had this, uh, this close family, uh, you've, you've uh, close-knit friends, uh, learned a lot, uh, done a lot uh, with your dance troupe and others. Uh, you're working on cultural awareness. In, in your business, what kind of philanthropic uh, inclinations do you have or would you like to get into? Well, uh, growing up, I knew very on that, uh, that you always have to give back to the community. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to give back the way I thought I could. So I've joined a lot of uh, nonprofit boards. Mm -hmm. uh, I currently sit as chairman of the DC Coalition for the Homeless. And our job is obviously to go out of business by making sure everybody has a home. Mm -hmm. um, but I've served on a lot of other boards, theater boards. Uh, I've served on uh, boards like uh, uh, the YMCA and the um, uh, American Diabetes Association. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's the best part of your day? Uh, I love what I do. I, I love I love working. The best part of my day is is probably when you, you know, when you say you love what you do. What, what is it you do? Um, well, there's one thing that I decided in, in, in running a business is I knew I had to know every aspect of my business. So I do everything. Uh, I have my hands and everything. If we do uh, uh, graphic design, I know I do graphic design. I, I deal. I work with my accountants and I deal with with financial stuff. Uh, I know how to do production. I can run a video camera. I can do all that stuff. So I know every part of the business, and so so no matter what I'm doing that day, I take it with an enthusiasm uh, and, and moving it forward. What's that have to do with what you were doing at 13 with your brothers? Uh, well, you you have to. Uh, Think about it when you're talking about choreography and you're talking about dancing and you're talking about going after to try to get business to 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 to, uh, to show people what you can do. This was post internet. This is, I mean, uh, you know, pre internet, pre pre uh, uh, video cameras. I mean, we were out there hustling. Mm -hmm. So you see, a, you see some sort of a parallel between you and your two brothers performing choreography, figuring out what to do, what not to do, figuring out how to get the bookings, figuring out the business arrangements, and what you're doing nowadays. Same thing. What um, do you mean, same thing? I'm, I'm, what, the one thing I loved about my business the most is the marketing aspect. I loved going out there and getting sales. I love talking to people. I love for that person to tell me no, because that's when the sale starts. What are you talking about? What I turn mean? it into a yes. Well, well wait, wait, wait. Hold, aren't you afraid of rejection? No, no. What Everyone gets rejected. So when you hear a no, what goes on in your head then? Oh, I try to turn it around, and unless they try to kick me out of their office and say I absolutely said no, I'm gonna stay there until I try to get you to some sort of a yes. <laughs> so you like to convince, you like to persuade. I do. So I thought sales was a bad thing, but it sounds to me like you know you're not a hard pushy salesman, but rather you like through a conversation to help people see the reason why. Absolutely. So if sales is a good thing. Well, what's the website address of your organization? LewisLimited.com. Let me have that one more time. How do you spell that? It's Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. Limited is all spelled out. L-I-M-I-T-E-D dot com. LewisLimited.com. We've been speaking with Jeffrey Lewis, founder of Lewis Limited Productions here on Executive Leaders Radio. And uh, let's see, Mark, can you give us a rundown on who else we've had the opportunity of speaking with today, please? Sure, Cohen. Um, on today's show, we had uh, Casey Baines, founder and executive director of Casey Cares Foundation. Gary Schiffman, CEO of Giant Oak. Jeff Galvin, CEO and founder of American Gene Technologies, and Jeff Lewis, founder of Lewis Limited Production. Excellent. I would like to thank my co-hosts, including Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, and David Kunzman, Pretoria Law, for giving me a hand structuring the questions. I'll be providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. What is the website address for Pretoria Law? It's uh, PretoriaLaw.com, P-R-O-T-O-R-A-E Law.com. And the Association for Enterprise Growth? Uh, enterprisegrowth.org and don't forget to visit our website executivelearsradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders thank you for joining us today and have a nice day bye bye thank you for tuning in you've been listening to executive leaders radio the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders we hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 am you can learn more about executive leaders radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 am that's executiveleadersradio.com